The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Sound on with Kevin Cirilli. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. You really have a divide within Team Trump. The president has to do exactly what people sent him here to do, which is to get it done. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. Trade talk. Trade talks continue. And President Trump says he's holding up the trade deal with China. China. Ahead of the G20 summit in Osaka, Japan. Meanwhile, there's more fallout between not just President Trump and President Xi Jinping of China, but former Vice President Joe Biden weighing in on the trade talk. Speaking of the 2020 race, we've got a candidate with us in studio. John Delaney is here with us. He just got off of Bloomberg Television. Now he's going to break down where the best place to get barbecue or pork in Iowa is. He spends a lot of time in Iowa. Before we get to all of that, plus the uh, ongoing uh, fallout of the the, uh, the the situation pertaining to the USMCA in Mexico, what a beautiful, beautiful day here inside of the Beltway in Washington, D.C. We are going to dissect all of the latest trade headlines coming out of the White House uh, from President Trump, the back and forth that he's had, not just with uh, former Vice President Biden, but also with Republicans. And he's upping the ante against China President Xi Jinping. But before we get to all of that, Democratic presidential candidate John Delaney's here with us in studio. Uh, fresh from where Where was the last campaign stop you were at? I was in Iowa at the Hall you, of Fame dinner. You were in at the Hall. Who was inducted into the Iowa Hall of well, the, Fame? A lot of people got awards, but the Hubbles, who was the Democratic nominee okay. for governor, uh, was the big awardee. What is your favorite part of Iowa? Well, I like all of Iowa. <laughs> well, like what's like the what's like the interesting part of Iowa? Well, you right know the now? people. You know their their seriousness around this process. I just find remarkable, and I think if the rest of the country could actually see it, they would feel much more comfortable about them having this early state. So role. The, the last cycle, I li- I literally covered. It was like a very crowded Republican cycle, and I would meet someone, and I would say, "Oh, like what you know?" In my notebook, I'd be like, "What'd you think of Rubio? What'd you think of Trump? What'd you think of Carson?" And then I got to like, let's say it's like Bush, for example, and he goes, "Well, I don't know." And I'll never forget this. I said, what do you mean you don't know? Well, I haven't met him yet. Yeah. I mean, the, the voters genuinely want to shake your hand and know precisely who you are before they decide. So what is, your, what is it like to have to meet that many people every Again, single I th- day? I think it's great. I mean, because, for example, I had this uh, terrific event on Friday night, and uh, it was a big crowd. And someone came up to me said in the Q&A portion, they said, you know, I read your book and I really liked you. But I like you so much more in person because I, th- I think I get a sense as to what you're all about. And that's the thing. You can't really figure out another human being until you meet them in many ways, right? Because so much of this is figuring out what's in someone's heart. Like, why do you want to be the president? Right? Why you, do you? 
Well, because I want to fix all these problems we have in our country right now, and I think I'm the right one to do it. And I think people genuinely believe that I'm both sincere about that and that I actually have a plan to do it. And that comes across when you meet, I think, me or anyone in general. You just get a sense not only to what's in their head. I mean, you can read my book to figure out what's in my head. But what's in my heart, you don't really figure out until you meet me. So how do you – So I mean, and, and you, I've interviewed you countless times. I've chased you in the halls of Congress back when you were a congressman. And you've got this business, small business, big business. I think you were the youngest trader, right? On the, I, I was the youngest CEO in youngest the history CEO. of the New York Stock Exchange. The history of the New York Stock Exchange. You've it might have been eclipsed since I did it. I took my first company public in 1996. I was 33 years old. Yeah, now you got like Zuckerberg and all of them. Well, they're NASDAQ. Oh, okay. See, this Distinction. is – You know that I'm down to the beltway. Don't tell the big bosses up in New York. Um, so you're in Iowa. There's been a lot of talk of trade. I'm the only politician who yeah. can answer that I, question. No, I'm pivoting. I'm like, get me out of this. <laughs> what are you hearing from farmers in Iowa about the trade talks? Well, um, they're pissed about, I think, what the president has done. I mean, I was one of the big supporters of the Trans-Pacific Partnership. I think if President Obama was 100% right. I was one of his lead point people in the House on this bill. And I think – as president, I'll get us right back in the TPP, and prices will go up. Right, Ever since we've had this person in the White House, prices have gone down. Mm-hmm. And I think they're suffering. And, uh, you know, it's a real problem. I think it's a real problem what he's done with China for farmers. I think it would have been a real problem what he threatened to do f- with Mexico, which now he's not doing because Mexico agreed to do what they'd already agreed to. And it's like a um, dot, 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 because he still might technically do it. Right. And they haven't really agreed to anything that's new. Yeah. So it's – it's. <clears throat> I just think he's random in the way he does this stuff, obviously. And trade is a complicated thing. I think what people underestimate, like dealing with the Chinese, they have serious people who do this trade stuff. And they're, they're, they do it for their careers, and they're really good at it. We bring in new people every administration. And so that's why it's, in the past we've been able to build coalitions to support trade agreements across multiple administrations. What he did with the TPP was just terrible. It was bad for U.S. economic policy. It hurt farmers, and it hurt, our, it hurt our ability to compete with China, which we need to do in the future. So what I find interesting is the centrist lane. Everyone pegs you as the centrist and that you're, you're competing for the centrist lane of the Democratic uh, uh, primary. You went to war with AOC – not war. You, went, you got into political – uh, tit for tat with freshman congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I believe it was over Medicare for All. Yes. And then you got booed at the California Democrats. That happened first, and then I got in the... So, like, what's going through your mind at the California Democratic Convention? So, so to me, this isn't actually about centrists or progressives. It's about people who actually have real plans and real solutions versus people who basically don't have plans and just have bumper sticker slogans or actually being dishonest. And I stepped forward at the California Convention and did something that I think proved to be pretty courageous, which is I said what a lot of people believe, which is the single-payer Medicare for All bill that Senator Sanders introduced in the Congress and everyone is getting behind is bad policy and it's bad politics. And that's not because I don't want universal health care. I have a plan to give every American health care as a basic right of citizenship. But this notion we're going to make private insurance illegal, which is in the bill, it's like in the first sentence of a, one of the key paragraphs, private insurance will be illegal. 150 million Americans have private insurance. 100 million of them like it. 
And so I don't see why the Democratic Party should run on taking from 100 million Americans that they like. That's never going to happen. So if we actually run on that, we'll lose. It's also bad policy. You know, Medicare and Medicaid, which are the two government programs, they don't pay enough. If you go to any hospital in this country and you ask them how it would go if all of their bills were reimbursed at the Medicare rate, they all say the same thing. We would close. But see, what what I think... And so I said this. I was booed, which is fine. I don't care about getting booed. Um... I care about getting health care right. And AOC told me to leave the race because my way of getting universal health care to every American is a right is different than hers, which I thought was a very intolerant response. And I think the Democratic Party should stand for an open debate and some tolerance to the battle of ideas. And so I just said, you know, I, I, I've never walked away from anything. I'm certainly not walking away from this. But what, what I don't – so and, – and you know this. I mean, no matter what the year is, it's, oh, you got to get out the base, the base, the base, the base. Well, where are all the – how come – I mean, do, do you buy that centrists don't vote in, in primaries? No. Listen, so why aren't they organized? Where are, like, the radical centrists? Th- this is not that hard, right? In 2018, we flipped the House. You know this as well mm-hmm. as anyone because you follow this stuff. And you know how we flipped the House. We turned 40 seats Republican-Democrat and all those people who – flipped those seats, ran as problem solvers. They talked about pocketbook kitchen table issues that matter to the American people. They didn't talk about, like, purity tests. They talked about solving problems. So they ran as centrist, and that's how we won. Turnout was high everywhere in this country. Didn't matter who was on the ballot, we had high turnout. That's going to happen in 2020. The 2020 election is going to be fought in the center, with, and the winner will be someone who has real solutions. So when you look... Okay, like, I mean, I have to ask the impeachment question. I feel sure. like it's like a, a rerun every time. I mean, it's like what with, – with impeachment in particular, do you, are you for impeachment? I'm, I'm for following Nancy Pelosi's lead. Yes. I think but, – but I'm serious about this. I think Nancy Pelosi is one of the most impressive people I've ever met in my life. I think she was made for this moment, uh, and she's a brilliant strategist and tactician. She understands the role of the House of Representatives better than anyone in that Congress. And she understands what her job is better than anyone in that Congress. And I think it's ridiculous for all these 2020 candidates for their own self-interest to be questioning. The fundraise. Well, no, but yeah, to fundraise. But to me, she is the person defending our democracy right now, the sole person in many ways. And she's playing this masterfully, I think. And I just think it's ridiculous for a bunch of people to be undermining her about something they don't know anything about. Mm -hmm. And she knows it cold. So, if so I'm, my view is on this issue, we should follow Speaker Pelosi's lead. We're a team, and we've got on this issue, she's our captain, and we should follow Are her. Are you happy with the debate stuff? I'm not happy that the Democratic Party has become about donors. Hmm. I'm not at all happy about that. So what would you have changed? You think well, it should debate? just be polling standards. Yeah. Right? The, the Democratic Party is basically saying you, gotta, you need 130,000 donors. I mean, I'm in the first debates. Right, but the fall debates they're requiring 130,000 donors. You know, Kevin, only about 10 percent of the American population has ever given money to a political candidate. Yeah, well, I didn't know that. Yes, yeah, so, well, does that surprise you? No. When you hear, when you know that 50 percent of the American people can't afford 500 dollars, but it's well, on the taxes because when you do your taxes, they ask you if you want to donate. To no, a they want campaign. Well, no, they they ask you if you want to donate to the the public financing fund. Oh, uh, okay. Right, that's different. So. You know, th- this is the question, right? Why are we as a Democratic Party deciding that this relatively small percentage of the country who gives money to candidates is determining who's on the debate stage? I'm actually running 
for the people who are left behind in this country, who are struggling to make their pay their basic necessities. They're not running around giving money to candidates. Why are they having no voice in this process? What's your strategy for the debate? How do you prep for like a debate like this? Because it's different. It's not like a traditional debate. There's 10 of us. It's Yeah. You know, listen, I think I've been prepping for the debate by campaigning and talking to real people. So I'm going to talk about the solutions I have to all the problems facing the American people. But do you people. need – okay, so I, I get that. But do you need like a viral moment? Do you need – I mean like seriously, how do you I don't do you think you can force out? a viral moment. I think you got to basically – Say something that resonates with the American people. Drink a Red Bull before. Just go out and just, <laughs> just be like. <laughs> fired up. Right. I'm fired up. Right? Like is that. Uh, or is there like a, a thing you're going to do before? I'm going to be in Miami. I'm going to be like watching like a hawk and the spinner. I'm going to be like, what did Delaney do before he. Bang out 50 pushups. There, okay. Okay. John Delaney is going to do 50 pushups. You heard it here first. Congressman John Delaney. You get yourself pumped up. To do 50 pushups. You know, I was in a pushup contest with Chuck Grassley for the record I won. But how many I, did you do? I mean, I just I did more than him. I mean, he's also he's yeah. got. Uh, I mean, you should have spotted him a bunch. <laughs> did you? Did you at least I'm make it pull. fair? It was on television. I would have slapped a forty-five pound plate on your back to even it up. <laughs> All right, fifty push-ups. John Delaney's doing fifty push-ups before the first presidential debate. Good luck. You're See here. Yeah. Thank you so much, right. Congressman uh, Delaney. John Delaney. Where, what's the book called, and where can people go if they want to get it? The right answer. And it's on your website? Uh, it's on my website, johndelaney.com. You right. check it out. You can give me a dollar to help me get in the debates, too. All right. Uh, coming up, reaction. We've got Adam Green, co-founder of the Progressive Change Campaign Committee, and Matt Brooks, Republican strategist and executive director of the Republican Jewish Coalition. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can also find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I will be doing 50 push-ups after the show. And you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We just had Democratic presidential candidate John Delaney on in studio. We're going to talk all things trade policy and politics with an all-star panel. Matt Brooks, his first time on the program, Philly native, Republican strategist and executive director of the Republican Jewish Coalition, Lower Marion, actually, to be more precise. Being a Delco guy, you know, you got to keep it in the family. Adam Green, co-founder of the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. Uh, He's been on the program before. I just found out he does have Philly roots. So I didn't know that, and I've, I've known you for like eight years. I do have Philly roots, but Jersey number one, baby. Okay. 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 What did you think of Delaney? What did you think of my interview with Delaney? J- John Delaney has a very fervent support at less than 1% in the polls. Well, it's um, early. There's like 20 people running. I know. Uh, yeah, John Delaney um, me- represented his district in Maryland for a while quite well. But bragging about getting booed in a Democratic primary probably isn't path, path to victory. But he didn't Medicare care. I, I know he didn't care. Yeah. And voters don't care for his position on things like Medicare for All or most other corporate or economic issues. But he's making the calculation that he's going to go after AOC to try to break out of the field. I mean, from a nuanced political strategist perspective, what's interesting about that is he's taken off the gloves. I mean, forget about Trump for a second. I mean, there's 20 people, and then he's going after the Democrat who's not running. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Well, it's it, but it's interesting. Right. I mean, those who are not with AOC, not on her page, probably have other choices like Joe Biden to choose from. Uh, I, I smiled this week when someone reminded – it might have been a Morning Joe or something. Somebody pointed out that the sister soldier moment of 1992 
was in the general election, not in the primary. Right? Uh, like offending your race in the primary isn't the best strategy, but you know it, it is heartfelt. I, I do believe that he earnestly does not believe in Medicare. All right, we're going to talk about the 2020 race coming up. We've got some polls we're going to dive into, some Iowa polls. But I was at the White House earlier today, and I was struck by all of the comments that were coming out of President Trump and the back and forth on trade policy. And Matt, I want to play for you what President Trump had to say about Biden and China trade policy. Here's President Trump. Here he is. Joe Biden thought that China was not a competitor of ours. Joe Biden is a dummy. Joe Biden thought China was not a competitor. So he's taking on former Vice President Biden, Matt, because I think there's a, an assumption, at least according to the reporting that I do with sources on the reelect, that they view Biden as the top challenger. I think, you know, I think that's the case. I have uh, a hard and fast rule in politics, which is uh, don't try and pick your opponent. You may get your wish. Mm. And, uh, you know, I Clinton, look at Hillary. I mean, exactly. They they were salivating over the chance to run against Donald Trump. Uh, The Carter people were salivating over the chance to run against Ronald Reagan. Um, I think it's too early yet to see who's going to be the strongest candidate. I think, you know, uh, I think that that Biden's going to have a very, very difficult time. And I think the president is right. He's not a particularly strong candidate. And I think he's going to have a very difficult time even getting the nomination. Yep. So I think there's two things going on here. One, he's trying to pick his own opponent. And I agree with you that that's not a great strategy. Look at me getting people to agree. Go ahead. Bringing people together. That's what I do. Second, he actually, this is partly a replay of what happened in 2016 when Donald Trump actually outflanked Democrats when it came to economic populism and trade. Most people think that, that he lost all three debates. He actually won the first 30 minutes of the first debate, which is all about NAFTA and TPP. And it's happening again, right? Joe Biden is consistently, part of his brand is cutting backroom deals with giant corporations and out-of-touch Republican insiders. That's what these trade deals are. You know, he loves cutting trade deals with China, and Donald Trump is trying to outflank us. So you us. agree with what President Trump just said today about Joe Biden? I'm not saying I agree with him per se, but I am saying that the dynamic that he's tapping into, trying to outflank Democrats on economic populism and working people's issues, that's, that's the vibe he's but trying you do, to do. You do agree with him on You do agree with him on TPP. You do agree with him on a number of, of these things, which is an interesting confluence between uh, the left and the right. Yeah, sort of the populism, populism that exists on the left and, and the right. And Adam's exactly right. People out there are angry. If you go uh, outside of Washington, in Washington we live you know, in this make-believe world where we have this echo chamber. But the reality is people understand that for far too long we've been getting the short end of it with our supposed allies and trading partners. And, and Donald Trump, to his credits, saying, you know what, I'm not going to put up with that anymore. And I'm going you know, to be the hard ass. And really, you know, push back on this stuff. All right, coming up, much more politics and policy with Adam Green and Matt Brooks. I'm Kevin Cirilli. You're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. 
Enjoy the weather. I mean, it doesn't get better than this, folks. Tuesday in the district. It's beautiful outside. It's like, it's like if we could hit pause on this weather. Wake up if you're in the car. Drive safe. Come on. Stay with me. It's only Tuesday. I'm joined by Adam Green, co-founder of the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. Matt Brooks, his first time on the program, Republican strategist. He's the executive director of the Republican Jewish Coalition. We're talking trade. We're talking tariffs. We're just a few short date, weeks away from, where, from when President Trump will sit down one-on-one with Chinese President Xi Jinping in Osaka, Japan at the G20. He said pause on the tariffs with Mexico. He's urging the Mexico government to pass whatever sort of deal was made and urging the Democrats and the Democratic-controlled House of Representatives to pass USMCA or NAFTA 2.0, all of which is unknown as of now. But now he's turning his attention back to China and, keyword and, the crowded Democratic 2020 presidential field. And he took on former Vice President Joe Biden, calling him a quote-unquote dummy today for how Biden would negotiate with China. Well, the former vice president, this is what he had to say. The president is literally an existential threat to America. Uh, Adam Green, I know you like Warren, but is, it, it, do you agree with Biden right there? That Donald Trump is an existential threat? Yes. Yes, that we are at our stress, the maximum part of our stress test right now. We can't take another four years. Absolutely. Do you think that, Matt, on the issue of, of, of China in particular, I mean, when you look at Biden campaigning in union halls in western Pennsylvania, in Ohio, where he was recently, in Wisconsin, Michigan, I mean, these are the states that Trump carried. He's, how, how is President Trump going to say Biden is to the left of where he is? How is he going to make that case? Well, he's going to make the case because people know in in those union halls and in western Pennsylvania and in Michigan and Wisconsin and the Rust Belt states that he that he won last time that uh, uh, he's a fighter. And he realizes I and mean, these people realize that for far too long, you know, we've been on the, the, the receiving end uh, of. You know, an unfair set of trade deals and and uh, relationships with our with our trading allies, and you know, racking up massive amounts of of trade deficits and uh, allowing the the Chinese in particular to run roughshod over our intellectual property, to steal our technology, uh, to undercut us. Uh, you know, with in terms of manipulating their currencies and all the kind of stuff that uh, nobody has been willing to take them on. This this president has drawn a line in the sand. Uh, and said no more. And you know the most effective tool that he has outside of the military uh, is to really ratchet up uh, tariffs on on China uh, and make them pay a financial price. And you know this is a wake up call. And I think the Chinese are are at what's going on in China now uh, are are really feeling this in a disproportionate way uh, than the United States is. And so I think all those people, Kevin, that you mentioned, understand uh, that this is a president who's going to fight not just uh, uh, to keep America safe and secure militarily, but also make us respected and safe and, and strong economically. Yeah, so I think this trade issue, this tariff issue, underscores why Elizabeth Warren is actually the most competitive Democrat to defeat Donald Trump. You know, these, the issue with these trade agreements are not just that they are unfair towards other countries. It's that they're written in back rooms by the executives of giant corporations. When the TPP was written, 
corporate execs were allowed in the room, members of Congress were not. Right? These are secretive deals written by corporations that want to offshore jobs to China. And yes, Donald Trump tapped into that fervor in 2016, but he was lying the whole time. He then stocked his cabinet with people like Mnuchin and others who come right from Wall Street in the corporate world. Hillary Clinton was not our best messenger to tap into that worldview. Elizabeth Warren is. Her entire life's work has been standing up for regular working people against corporate power, challenging the big guy on behalf of the little guy. I hear you on that. Why not Bernie Sanders? Bernie Sanders could be competitive, too. You know, I've been in the room as she's campaigned in Iowa, in Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, New Hampshire. And one thing that's really interesting is it's not just that she has a plan. It's that she has a personal story of struggle growing up poor in Oklahoma, a personal story of struggle as a single mom in Texas that really connects emotionally with people and underscores why her plans make and sense I for saw, her as a I messenger. I think it was – coming up, we're going to talk more Warren because, I mean, if there's anyone from Warren World who's more of a Warren insider, I, I can't find them other than Adam. And, and there was a there was – I, I believe it was in Iowa, the organizing meeting, or was it in Detroit when all the volunteers showed up and it was – it went viral. It was in either Detroit, Michigan, or somewhere in Iowa where, like, all of these volunteers showed up, uh, and it, it got a lot of pickup. It went viral. But it's fascinating to see, and we're going to talk about this poll coming up out of Iowa. Much more with Adam Green, much more with Matt Brooks. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the Bloomberg Business app. You can find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio, and you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. This is Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2 Baltimore. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Up on Capitol Hill, it was a busy day for Congressman Cicilline. The Rhode Island Democrat, David Cicilline, is the subcommittee chairman on the House Judiciary's Antitrust Committee. And he began that investigation. Remember, he was on the show last week. He had he kick-started that congressional panel conducting a broad antitrust investigation into the nation's biggest technology companies, big tech, you know, Alphabet's Google, Facebook, you name it. They were looking at it. This, according to my colleague Naomi Nix's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal. The Bloomberg Terminal, by the way, had impeccable coverage every which way of this big tech hearing. Meanwhile, Margaret Taleb's reporting on the Bloomberg Terminal that the White House sees Russia and China, the White House, President Trump, sees Russia and China planting stories of U.S. discord in the news media. This according to White House National Security Advisor John Bolton. Uh, He said that on Tuesday at an event by the Wall Street Journal in D.C. Adam Green's here. Adam Green is the co-founder of the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. So is Matt Brooks, Philly guy, Republican strategist, lives here in D.C. now. He's an executive. He is the executive director of the Republican Jewish Coalition. Uh, Adam, you and I were talking in the break about about big tech and, and uh, Senator Warren. I know you're you, you like Warren for president, uh, connected to Warren World very much so. Uh, just got a plan to break up big tech. What do you make of what th- this chatter up on the antitrust subcommittee that Cicilline's doing? Yeah, well, this is a burgeoning issue, anti-monopoly law, and what people need to know about it is that this is the antithesis of socialism. This is the most pro-market thing one could imagine. This is the idea that the big guy should not force the little guy out of the market 
or prevent them from getting into the market. This is the most pro-small business, pro-entrepreneurial thing possible, basically saying that once you get into the market, you shouldn't lift the ladder up behind you. So I, I see this as relevant as inoculating Democrats from the socialism charge in 2020. It's also a subtle distinction between Bernie and Warren. How is it a subtle distinction between Bernie and Warren? Because Bernie's going to give this big – I love how we call him like his first name. Like, I know the guy. Bernie, call me. But like <laughs> Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, he's going to give this big speech tomorrow regarding socialism. You say this is an illustration of the difference between Senator Warren and Senator uh, Sanders. How so? Yeah, so the same things, they're going in the same direction when it comes to corporate accountability and fighting for working people. I think they would both be progressive transformational presidents. But in terms of point of emphasis, her main point is I want markets to work better. That means having a cop on the beat. That means having actual rules in the game, not letting you know, Wall Street or the credit card companies get away with murder. His point of emphasis is more socialism. He's going to make wow. that case tomorrow. So it's, it's, a, it's a distinction. It's not, you know, it's not the difference between Trump and them. You know, their, their differences are much smaller but in terms of point of emphasis, it's, it's yeah, worth it. Down in Miami, it's going to be a brawl. Just saying predictions. Go ahead, Matt. So a couple observations. First of all, in, to the point that you just made, Kevin, you know, from a bit of schadenfreude, having gone through this in 2016 with the huge field and multiple debates and craziness, uh, it's, it's just uh, uh, really enjoyable watching the Democrats uh, go through the same thing. And <laughs> interestingly enough, I mean, it is, you know, there's two fundamental uh, things that the Democrats have done this year that I think are, are going to end up causing them a lot of heartache down the road. Number one, uh, they did something which, you know, as somebody on the Republican side, I have dreamed and coveted the idea of having superdelegates to help mm. keep some order. Uh, what did the Democrats do the cycle? They got rid of all their superdelegates. So you take the safety break, the pressure valve uh, off of this whole nominating process. And, and what that's going to do uh, is just empower the, the crazies to, to, to run wild and, and, I believe, nominate somebody who may not, you know, probably won't be electable when compared to Donald Trump. Or it's going to create a vacuum at the convention and Lord knows what's going to happen. Well, that's the other thing. And then, you know, then they... they totally front-loaded and changed the whole calendar of the primaries. So uh, whereas you would have, you know, an ability to pump the brakes with some time in between, now you've got, you know, back-to-back primaries with big states and lots of delegates. All of it is a, is a recipe and a prescription for chaos. Yeah, so I'm not as <laughs> cynical about, uh, about the DNC delegate thing as, as you are. I think, you know, if you look at media bias, which Republicans generally don't like, and you look at pro-establishment forces, which... I think the basis of both parties don't like. That's really what the superdelegate thing was about. Superdelegates actually do have a vote on the second round of voting, and in this 20-plus person primary, that it's not inconceivable that there will be a second round. What it does is prevent the media networks from putting graphics on the screen for months and months saying that somebody is ahead uh, when they have not won a single vote, and that's really one of the things that damned um, Bernie because, you know, there were no votes cast and Hillary's ahead by a thousand delegates. It's like, oh, now he can't win. He's already lost the nomination. It's like, you know what? At least let the voters have their say. And if we get to the point later where super delegates have a vote, great. They have a vote then. But I think, I think it's a great thing for democracy. Let the voters decide. I, That's a bottom-up thing that the Democratic Party should, should I'm, be doing. I'm going to quote my friend here, my mentor, Tom Keene. We're going to rip up the script. Let's go. I wasn't <laughs> expecting to go here. But this is fascinating because I'm having flashbacks to covering, you know, Reince Priebus and the convention, Spicer back at the RNC. They're like, you know, on the phone with me, talking to me through the delegates and the ballots and 
all of the nuance. And I kept thinking to myself, nobody cares. Like, I mean, I, and, and I couldn't say that, of course, to any of my esteemed editors and colleagues who are much smarter than I will ever be. But nobody cares. And to Adam's point, if it, to the voter who is working nonstop trying to put food on the table for their family, they don't care. They want to know who, who got the most votes, what's the percentage counts, and who's going to win. All of this stuff is just Washington noise, no? No, I think, look, there's, there's, it, it's a useful noise, though. Uh, to the extent that you can have a check and balance on on uh, a process in which uh, you know a disproportion if, if if your goal ultimately is to win the election you want to nominate the candidate who is most likely to win not the candidate that appeals to the most progressive or the farthest left I have to interrupt because you know who the candidate who's most likely to win is the candidate that won. In order to win, you have to win. The thing about winners, they don't lose. Mm -hmm. And I think all of these rules outside and all the super delegates and the delegates and the hanging chads, <laughs> it's all like noise. It's like, who got the most votes? Thank you, next. But I, I, we'll pivot back to, to current news of the day because, again, that convention is still, like what, like more than a year away? President Trump switching to foreign policy. President Trump says he got – did you guys see this? Did you see – okay. President Trump says he got a quote-unquote beautiful – Beautiful letter from North Korea leader Kim Jong-un, but he's not ready for a meeting. The back-and-forth correspondence for the history books between President Trump and Kim Jong-un, it's going to be remarkable. Adam, what do you think of, of, of how I, – I, I take it you don't really like how President Trump has served as commander-in-chief. That's, that's a fair statement. <laughs> so I, I think we could all agree that no one of these issues will likely make or break the 2020 election, right? This letter Unless is it all goes it. to hell in a handbasket. Well, I mean, that would be a pretty big issue. Yeah. The, I feel like this fits into a pattern. A, the question really is, if this is a chapter, what story is it a chapter of? And what we see is a consistent pattern of Trump claiming either Pyrrhic victories to have no value or victories in solving a problem that he himself caused, Right. So when he says, oh, we solved this Mexico tariff thing, um, he, he caused that problem. When he says, we're, you know, we're giving relief to farmers because of my tariffs, he caused that problem, right? When he says, you know, we're, we're going to stop uh, the flow of immigration at the border that's illegal, he's the one who pulled the rug out of other countries and caused more people to want to flee their own countries. And, you know, North Korea, you know, he, he hasn't, he's treaded water at best and caused problems diplomatically, giving them ground at worst. So I think that's the larger story that voters will get. This is an incompetent president on foreign policy and domestic policy. And I, and I fundamentally disagree because I think the American people are smart enough to understand when you say the president caused the, the problem with Mexico and the tariffs. I don't think it was a problem that he caused. It's, a, it's an action that he took. There is no question uh, that we have a, a burgeoning crisis on our border. Something has to be done. And, and this president... You know, the only the only hand he had to play to get the Mexican uh, government to act was to threaten tariffs. And that, you know, they had this agreement in place. It was it was they were dawdling around on implementing it. And sure enough, threaten the tariffs and the Mexicans are moving now. on you it. Guys, we got to leave it there. There's never enough time. But I think this is a great panel. We're going to have both of you back. If, if you'll come back. Love Adam, Adam Green. He is the co-founder of the Progressive Change Campaign Committee. When are you going to Iowa with Warren? I was there already. I'll probably Always be, there. Back, be back soon. And Matt Brooks, Republican strategist, Philly guy, executive director of the Republican Jewish Coalition. You can download the Sound On podcast on Apple iTunes at Bloomberg.com or by downloading the business app. Find us on Radio.com, iHeartRadio, and Spotify. I'm Kevin Cirilli. Thanks to John Delaney. And you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1.
The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com.